we get so much returning customers and we're able to get our returning customers to come back and purchase back with us. And I think that's where you get the kind of the true value within a product is when you manage just to get a customer in and then they're coming back and purchasing back your products a month out. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time we have my friend Seb Vanderlinden, who is the co-founder and CEO of Yummy Nutrition, an amazing nutrition brand. I stumbled across this on the internet, actually, and I loved that they are delivering key nutrition to their customers, but through gummy formats, so like a pleasurable experience. It really did resonate with us and our um, beliefs at Nubru. So, Yummy, you may have heard of it, you may not, but a little bit about it. It is a multi seven-figure turnover e-commerce brand selling both online and offline, predominantly in the UK. They are crushing online sales, Amazon sales, and they're in some pretty well-known high street stores, which we're going to get into in this interview. So Seb and I have had a little bit of a, a chat off air and last week, and I can say confidently that today's show is going to be a fantastic journey through his background, life, experience and success. And so without further ado, Seb, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for the introduction. That's probably the best introductions I've, I've ever had, to be honest, uh, with you, Martin. <laughs> oh, I, I really appreciate that. John, that, that one felt good. I'm not going to lie. That one actually felt good. And the thank audience you, knows that normally there's a few more stumbles. <laughs> so, you know, seven out of 10 for that one. Strong. Anyway, Seb, whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in Manchester, lovely sunny Manchester. And recently, uh, we are, we're, in, we're in like the second lockdown stage in Manchester at the moment, right, are we? We are. We, there's, there's talks about, well, it looks like we're going to go in tier three as a Friday. But yeah, it's very, very unknown, very, very confusing what's going on at the moment in Manchester. The mayor denied it. Uh, apparently it's going to be forced upon, uh, upon us now. But yeah, look, it, but it does look like we're going to tier three as of Friday. Beautiful. But fortunately, you've got an e-commerce business. And so as long as you've got the internet, kind of a lot of things can go on as normal. So that is one of the, the joys, I guess, of, of e-commerce. Of course. Of course. So um, of course. the way we typically kick these things off is we go back to a point in your past, which really serves as a great starting point for your entrepreneurial story. So if you've got a time in mind, could you tell us about that time and paint us a word picture? Sure, sure. So back when I was 15, uh, my dad was uh, diagnosed with brain cancer and he was only given a couple months to live. Uh, fortunately, he managed to live for another four years. And uh, during that time, uh, my dad used to be a very successful entrepreneur. Um, but he managed to get himself into a lot of debt. And I think the debt amounted to something like two, two million euros. We were very much aware from a very young age that we'd have to become financially independent very quickly. So I decided to quit school at the age of uh, 17. He was the father of one of my best friends at the time. And he's very much uh, um, a Gordon Ramsay-like figure back in Belgium, like a celebrity chef. He has his own show. So yeah, worked uh, for, for his restaurant, I think, for over a year and a half. And uh, a, couple a couple months full-time and then a couple months part-time. 
Uh, during that time, I uh, saved up uh, some money from the money that I made working as a waiter. And with the money that I made, I invested it into ebooks, uh, business books, uh, psychology books, I went into courses. And then I stumbled on a seminar regard, re, around mobile apps. And this is what, this was like a, what, eight years ago. So apps were just, just emerging at the time and we started to become a thing. And they still had the debate. Are apps going to become a thing of the future? And 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 the position I was well, absolutely apps are going to become a thing of the future. This is something I've learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I decided to teach myself how to develop apps, and uh, uh, and then I slowly but surely managed to uh, work with a, a couple of uh, small to medium sized businesses. And it was literally me as a eighteen year old going into a restaurant saying, can I speak to the manager and uh, trying to pitch to my, my app development services. And it was very much a time people didn't know what it was and very new. And I was pretty much saying to them, like, look, I can take your website and I can transform it into an app. So I started getting a couple of clients like that. And, uh, and I did okay. I was very new, obviously, to business. Had no idea what I was doing. Had no idea about pitching, marketing, uh, anything to do with business, how to manage a business, forecasting. But... I really saw it as a, um, my learning experience and my learning period of like, I, I didn't go to uni, but this is going to be my, my learning experience. This is going to be kind of my own university period. Um, so yeah, so did that for a year and that was back in Belgium. And then uh, unfortunately at the time, because my, my, my dad was ill and, and, and was just about to pass um, and he had a lot of debt, we ended up being kicked out of our house. I had to go and live with friends for uh, over a year. And then I lived with, uh, with, a, well, with family friends for just a year. Then I had to move back to England, to the UK. And I couldn't really, uh, uh, I had to stop working on that business on the app development side. And yeah, I had to go back to live with my, with my mum, who, who I wouldn't say was in the, in the best of financial situations. Uh, she was... Uh, a part well she worked part-time on minimum wage so it's very much going back to living into a flat uh, a two-bedroom flat where uh, my mum and sister were living it were living in it and I was living on a cat on the couch on the sofa in the, in the living room and at the time when I was uh, when I moved to the UK so that was uh, now eight years ago uh, I came up with an app idea to develop um, a social media app called Spotlinks and I managed to raise investment for it somehow I did that for um, over a year and a half, uh, well, actually more than over a year and a half, something like two years. And like most businesses, once you start off, you don't again. It was my second business. I didn't know pretty much what I was doing. And um, it ended up failing. I had to get a, a job uh, working full time. So I worked as a business development manager for a telecom company for a year. And then I went and worked for a digital agency um, after that still as a business development manager and during that time I always had the ambition of becoming a successful entrepreneur and becoming financially independent and being my own boss um, so with my uh, previous experience I, I kind of taught myself that um, I wanted to launch a business where I could uh, rely on myself and not particularly rely on other people, just because a lot of the times when you're developing apps, you need so much investment, loads of investment, and you need to rely also on, on, on app developers. 
And I, I wanted to do something I could do on the side of my full-time job, and I wanted to do a side business. Um, so e-com kind of seemed pretty perfect to me because I could just uh, do it on, on the side. I had all the skills. I could develop a, a, I could develop a website. I could market it, et cetera. And I, I just had to find really what product I wanted to, uh, to, to launch. Um, I was passionate about um, nutrition, health, and well-being. So I thought I'd do something within that sector. And then supplements was very much a, a thing at the time that was emerging. You had my protein coming up that was doing really well in, in, in the protein space. And yeah, I did a bit of research into, into the marketplace, saw kind of what was uh, out there, what was the demand. And I kind of stumbled across uh, Trouble Vitamins, uh, where you had a few companies that would specialize in Trouble Vitamins, that, but they'd probably just uh, focus on kids, for example, or they'd just do a multivitamin for kids. Or you had a company that would just do like hair gummies. So I thought to myself, it would be good if we came up with a wide variety of gummies and that we'd focus on niche products, but that on demand. And that we put on the packaging, what does, what is the, the benefit of, uh, of the supplement? So a lot of times, I don't know if you go in a hole in a barrel, you find a supplement, but you don't know what it is. So we wanted to say kind of straight away, this is a sleep gummy or bedtime gummy. This is going to help you to go to sleep. This is a, um, a lean and detox gummy. This is uh, an all-day energy gummy. So yeah, we started with just a couple of products. And uh, from there, I uh, started uh, on my one-bedroom flat in, in Manchester on the side of my job. And uh, uh, we used to, I remember we were getting orders in and go into uh, the office with my orders and then I had to go on, on my break to go send up to the post office. And then uh, things started kind of uh, um, picking up. We we're getting more and more sales every month. I was able to quit my job, uh, working full time, and then uh, work predominantly as a freelance. Uh, managed to get investment, and then I worked full time on the business. And then we went from a one bedroom flat to a two bedroom flat, where the second bedroom was uh, uh, just a stock room, pretty much. We went from the stock room to a unit to now the unit that we are now now in. We're now in the process of moving into a bigger unit. So yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell my entrepreneurial journey so far. I love that. I love that. And um, as I said in the introduction, we really resonate with the um, the a different delivery system to to the norm, right? I mean, they um, the, the expression is there's there's nothing new under under the sun, right? Or or, or what have you? And that's true. I'm sure. Um, what we we know for for literally thousands of years, humans um, have been making themselves feel better with stuff around them and it might be chewing on a particular leaf back in the day and and you know nowadays it's it's more the, the supplementation side but um certainly the 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 supplement um space has not evolved all that much up until i would say in the in the recent years and so being able to deliver these these key nutrients via a gummy format something that's much more pleasurable than than pills um you know something that we're absolutely aligned on um in our thinking so i'm curious yeah. so in your in your first year where you were you were fulfilling orders on your lunch break and so on and how did you get into it initially like um what was your process for finding that initial partner who who the manufacturing partner who would supply you presumably like ridiculously low um minimum order quantities that you could afford to buy or was it more a drop shipping model or more of a private label model how, how did you um tackle that right in the early days 
Sure. So at the very, very beginning of the business, even prior to like speaking about Yummy, um, I was thinking of doing a, a, a graze box, like a like kind of like a, a, a box that you get loads of different mix of supplements. And I did some research and I went on to Alibaba and quickly I found out that it'd be impossible to do just because of all the minimum orders that you'd have to do for all these different supplements. And quickly I thought, oh, this is impossible to do then. Uh, to do with my own branding. Um, so yeah, I thought that scrapped that off, and yeah, that's when we decided to go into a into trouble vitamins, and we started literally uh, contacting a few uh, um, suppliers on Alibaba. And as you said, the minimum orders were all too big for us. We had, I think, we had all together. There was three, the three of us who started a business. We had like a couple hundred quitter to spend, and the minimum orders were like like ten thousand pounds, etc. Um, so what we did, we had to uh, uh, build a relationship with one of these manufacturers and how we kind of uh, kind of avoided the hurdle of the minimum order is that we picked uh, products that were off the, uh, kind of, you could say off the shelf formulas that are already, already done and, and produced by the, by the manufacturers and that they were doing for other clients. And we, we put our order on the back of someone else's order. So what we did is we waited for someone to put their order and we said, okay, well, we can't meet the minimum uh, quantity order, but can you can you add like I don't know like a uh, a couple of kilograms for us on on their order? And they said sure. So uh, they shipped us out like I think it was like sixteen boxes, and uh, yeah, that's that's how we kind of jumped the hurdle of, of the minimum order quantity is that we put our order off the back of someone else's order, and that's and that's something that I would advise probably for most uh, 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 companies starting up. You don't particularly know that your product is going to sell for straw. So if the minimum order quantities orders are, are really high, you probably want to try and find a solution to negotiate it to kind of drop that uh, the minimum order quantities uh, low. And that was one of the solutions that we found. That's incredible. I've not actually I've not heard of that before. That you found the the right level of dodgy in the uh, in the supplier there who are like, well, actually, we could add you onto that. And I can see how that you know that makes sense um, from from both sides. Yeah. That's a true innovative uh, win win. And so um, you you but gradually don't be scared to ask. yeah yeah I, I, I think that's, that's what don't be scared to ask the manufacturer yeah. yeah. So we saw gradual um, growth. Um, so what did your, in terms of sort of um, revenue levels, what did your, your first uh, few years look like in terms of their growth? Yeah, so the first year, I remember that like the first couple of months I was trying to do, I was pretty much trying every kind of traction channel. So I did Facebook ads, um, affiliate marketing, uh, Google ads, uh, Pinterest. I, I tried all these different traction channels and to find which one would uh, convert the best and just and then double down on it. And we found that Google Shopping was working the best for us. And that's predominantly what we just focused on. Instead of just focusing on loads of different uh, traction channels, I thought, well, we don't have that much money uh, and we need to make the most out of the money that we're investing. So let's invest on the one that's uh, uh, we're getting the highest returns. There we, we started with Google Shopping. and the first year was very much a year where we were working uh, all of us on a full-time basis and doing it part-time. So we did, like I think in the first year, we did 20,000 20, pounds, something like that, just that, in, in one year. And then in the second year, things started to pick up a bit more. 
Um, we're starting to, to, to rank better on Google Shopping, guessing kind of nailing what we were doing, knowing what products would sell. So we, we start adding more products to the product line. Um, we'd also uh, invest a little bit more time into the, into the company, right? investing a little bit more money also in, in, into, the, into the company. And at that point, that's when we decided that uh, we, well, we reached a, a month where we were starting to do like 10K. And that was like kind of like a big, big deal to us. Oh, well, we, we've reached 10K. This is uh, validating our idea. We know that we're onto something. It's probably time for us to go full time and, and, and start raising investment. So we managed to raise investment, I think, uh, this was June, June of 2018. And we had an investment then back on in October two, uh, 2018. And that's really when things ranked up. So we went from going to do £20,000 to £180,000 the following year. Then the year after that, we went from £180,000 to uh, half a million pound. And then now we're on track uh, to be doing just about around £2 million turnover. And we've been now around for just over three and a half years now. Fantastic. And, um, you know, that's, that's such, it's really good. Um, that kind of steady growth, like, um, whilst rapid growth is exciting, it can also be completely destructive, um, for a business. And, um, and I, I haven't really come across any businesses that have had true rapid growth without any significant fires that you don't necessarily hear about, um, unless you dive into the conversation that going on in the back end, right. With the something breaking because yeah. of um uh, things so it's really good that you've, you've you've done that and you figured out what's worked and and you've done it um you know steady steadily and deliberately um to the point you are today so can we talk a little bit about um raising investment because certainly in the uk it's a le- it's less common i would say it's less common than um than in other parts of the world to to raise investment and as such um investors have slightly different appetites where were you looking for where, what channels were you putting the word out that you were looking for investment or looking to find investors and, and where did you eventually find your success? Yeah, sure. So, so prior to Yumi, I already had a bit of experience with uh, trying to raise funds. So I kind of had an idea of what had to be done. So we put a, in place a pitch deck of uh, what, what was Yumi about and kind of like a, how we were uh, delivering our products, et cetera, and, and, and the amount of revenue we were generating at the time. Then we, uh, we went in touch with a, a few angel investment network groups where you can get in touch, pitch, and, and uh, you then present your, your business to, I don't know, to a, a board of angel investors, et cetera. And um, we also went and put our pitch deck on a website called Angel Investment Network. So pr- pretty much all they do is they uh, put entrepreneurs in front of uh, angel investors and then you get to uh, to pitch to them and, and get in contact and then uh, start a, a relationship, so to speak. So we actually got contacted through a few, a couple of investors on an angel investment network, and uh, one of them was actually quite funny. It was a, a syndicate of uh, people who who did quite well, like uh, CEOs of, of big companies, uh, uh, entre- uh, entrepreneurs, and they actually all met uh, during uh, well uh, playing poker. That they used to play poker together a lot, and they're all uh, all really good poker players. Some of them actually professional poker players, and they then decided, oh well, we probably shouldn't start investing our, our money a little bit more wisely than just uh, throwing it in poker. So yeah, they they started a, a syndicate group, and uh, one of the head of the groups uh, kind of uh, got in touch with us, 
uh, and uh, and yeah, we we pitched to them, and then yeah, I think it took like uh, something like from start to finish, like six weeks to to, to finalize things. But what we'd say, and, and if I had to give, if I had to give like an advice to to someone who's raising funds, what a lot of the times you come up with an idea, and it's that kind of two types of ideas. There's an idea that you'd be able to start off the ground yourself, and 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 start going, and and, and you're up and running straight away. And there's there's ideas where you know straight away where you know you'll you'll need an investment. I'd probably say you probably want to avoid that. It's going to make you so. It's going to make it's going to be so hard for you to, to raise an investment if you don't have like a some kind of a of a market validation, or you're not getting any any numbers, or not getting any any revenue. And for the case where we were in, we were already running uh, up and running, and we didn't particularly need investment. We'd still grow, but the growth would probably be a, a lot slower. And we're already generating like tens of thousands, or we're, what we're doing like between ten to fifteen thousand pounds. So it's already very appealing to an investor, and they could see the growth that we're doing. That oh, this is a business that is uh, not particularly need us, but if they had our, our business, it just oh, well, our, our investment did grow a lot faster, and. Um, and they're already, uh, they're already profitable, they're already generating a, a profit. So from day one, that's what we wanted to do is be a business that was investment to, to run. Nice. And so um, are you willing to share with us um, how much you raised or, or, the, or what valuation or is that um, uh, not, not public information? Yeah, sure. We raised £110,000. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I would probably say that that was the turning point in our business. Um, I knew as, as soon as we had the 110,000 pound that we were here to stay and this was going to become a successful company. I just knew it. I just knew that, oh, I've got enough money to like try loads of different things out and that it won't uh, damage the company. While at the time, all the money that we were, ma- we were making, we were re- reinvesting into the company. It was not full time. And if we made one bad decision, that could be kind uh, of uh, detrimental. And I just knew that with a, the, that £110,000, we kind of had a bit of a cushion to try different things out. And yeah, that's really what kind of pushed us to the next level. So it really made a whole lot of difference. We could have probably been just as successful, but probably the growth would, would not have been as quick, I would say. Yeah, so, so from, from the third year to the fourth year and fourth year to the fifth year, it's, it's almost a 400% growth both years, 400% growth to the fourth year, 400% growth um, to, the, to the, the fifth year, the year we're in right now. And so obviously, um, you know, that you were able to leverage that um, investment to catapult the business forward. What, um, what were some of the uh, more successful um, channels that you chose to to spend that investment money to to generate that growth yeah so at first we kind of had like a big idea of going to the us and expanding into the us just because the market there was so big so we did we did spend a bit of money there i wouldn't say it was as, as successful as i wanted it to be but we still managed to get a bit of traction we started ramping up our budgets on adwords to us, one of the things that we realized that uh, really added to our bottom line was also adding new products. But each time that we added new products, um, it really made such a big difference to, uh, to our turnover. And so we, had, we started investing into more stock. And I'd probably say actually having the, the stock issue was something that we, we, we dealt with a lot because we, because it was a, uh, prior, we were only making so much money, there was only so much we could invest in stock. And you can only uh, turn over as much stock as you've got in, in, mm. in, in your warehouse. So we put a lot of investment into our, 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 
into our stock, into our uh, into new into new products. And yeah, we started a, a then uh, ramping up our budgets on all these different uh, traction channels. And I'd probably say for us, one of the things that has been probably the most successful is that uh, we we get so much returning customers, and we we're able to get our uh, returning customer uh, people, our customers, to come back and, and and purchase back with us. And I think that's where you get the kind of the true value is in a product is when you um, manage to, uh, to to get a, a customer in. And then they're coming back and, and, and purchasing back your, your, your products a month, a month out. So when we look at uh, even today, um, like the percentage of returning customers on, on our website, so to speak, is like something like 40%, 40% of returning customers at the moment. Um, so yeah, so that's what really what's kind of like uh, helped us grow uh, to the numbers that we're doing today. Fantastic. And so in the introduction, we, um, we teased a little bit that, um, that you're selling both online and offline. And I think offline is something that's um, neglected by a lot of uh, e-commerce businesses. All right. I mean, you know, fair enough. It's an, the E in e-commerce is electronic, which literally does um, exclude yeah. offline. But certainly the last time I heard the stat, I think it was still 80 or 90% of purchases were offline compared to online around, around the world. There's still a huge amount of um, volume, less so in lockdown, admittedly, but there's certainly a lot of volume um, out off the internet of, of stuff that's being purchased. And so um, we teased in the introduction that you were in um, a major um, high street uh, retailer. Um, could you talk to us about, first off, who that retailer is? And then could you tell us a little bit about your, the, the sort of journey and experience or, or what you did really that, that led up to um, being on the shelves of that retailer? Sure, sure. So when we when we started, our focus was always online. That was our main focus. But in the back of our minds, we also knew that at some point we'd want to also go to retail. And I think that's something a lot of um, e-commerce businesses sometimes kind of neglect or don't think about is that that's also another uh, revenue stream that you could make and that could also make a big difference to, you, to your bottom line in terms of the turnover that you make and also the, the valuation and the and and generating a turnover, well, big turnover each month, just because of the sheer amount of volume that they that they can make. So, when we did up, even when we were doing our pricing at the very beginning, we were searching for how much will retailers take off our um, recommended retail price, so we'd have a a price that we'd be able to be also be profitable when we also go to retail. And I think that's one also the the issues I see in quite a few e-commerce businesses do, is that they don't take that into consideration. They don't take into consideration that the, 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 the margins that uh, uh, retailers are going to be taking, that they can't actually offer them their, their, their products into retail because the margins are, are, are too big that they're taking and they're not making a, a profit. Um, so that was always very much in our, in our train of thought is we're going to be uh, focusing online to start off and that's how we're going to make ourselves known. And we come to a point where we're undeniable and that uh, retailers can't ignore us anymore and they have to come in touch with us. So we never really predominantly had a strategy where we would go and focus and, 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 uh, and, 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 and try and get buyers from Holland and Barrett, so to speak, to uh, purchase our products. We wanted them to come in touch with us. And how we could do that is by, made, is by becoming undeniable that it, that they will have to come in touch with us because there's so much demand in the market for, for our products. 
So yeah, one of the I think I believe one of the uh, buyers from Holland about it came in touch with us. I think it's already two years ago, and at that time we were not particularly, I would probably say, in a position to to uh, move forward. We were still very new. We didn't have our supply chain quite right. There was still quite um, a lot of things from like even from legislation point of view that we had to that had to figure out. And then we kind of we went back in touch with them um, this year, at the beginning of this year, and um, yeah, we just started on going the process. So uh, really, we we already had buyers that were really interested in us. So it was pretty much just a, a process of sending our sample to them. Uh, agreeing on 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 on, a, on pricing and then agreeing on like a, uh, an initial order. So yeah, that's kind of how we went from um, going online to uh, to to retail. Is that yeah? We always had in mind that we're going to put a, a, we already had like a strategy of, of of going retail, but that was not going to be our main strategy, and that we didn't want to rely on that. That we we're going to be uh, uh, be predominantly an online business. But if we could go retail, we could, and that uh, we'd become undeniable for retailers not to contact us. So yeah, that's how we we managed to uh, to get into Holland Barrett as of uh, as of June. And yeah, since then it's uh, the products have been flying off the shelves. We've actually been struggling to get the what well, we've been struggling with the demand. But I guess it's a it's a good problem to have. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so it's so far so good. We um, and yeah, there's other potential retailers that we're now in talks. Nothing uh, official, but yeah, we've got other announcements to make. Hopefully, at the end of this month, uh, from a retail uh, from a retailer uh, perspective. Beautiful. And so, where do you think um, Holland and Barrett do their their shopping and their their speculation? Like they found you somewhere, and that place demonstrated they could see that you already were very popular like do you, was that amazon or or do you think uh, it was through press releases or like how do you feel like they found you uh, i i I'm, I'm, I'm well from what they said is they found us through um they were doing some research and they found that chewable vitamins were becoming very popular then they went and saw what chewable vitamin companies were out there and then we were uh we were on top of, of Google. We were on top of Amazon. Our branding looked really good. They liked the name. They kind of understood straight away what the product was about with the packaging, etc. Um, they loved the taste. They totally got uh, kind of the branding behind it. Yummy. Well, yeah, the the, the product is going to be yummy once you taste it. And and I think they really bought, they bought into the brand. They bought into uh, our mission. They bought into the, the the values that we had. And they bought in into really the, the narrative that we're, we're playing in is that we want to change um, how people think, what they, what they think about uh, vitamins and, and supplements. It shouldn't be something that people dread to have in. It should be something that people are looking forward to, to have and should be a, uh, like a treat that they can have uh, before going to bed or when they wake up. So yeah, I think they, they, they bought in into all that. And yeah, they found us on, on Amazon. They found us on Google and then, yeah, decided to come in touch with us. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how they found us. I love that. And so for, for the people in the audience who are, you know, they've potentially been considering retail for a while, or maybe now they're just like, hey, this is a, an interesting um, angle that I hadn't um, thought of, or channel rather, I hadn't thought of. What should the listeners prepare for or brace themselves for in terms of um, 
the kind of margin that retailers might ask for? Yeah, 50, 60%. So off, off your recommended retail price, so let's say it's £10, they, they'll expect it to get the product for four to five pounds. And then you have to make, off those four to five pounds, you need to make a profit. Um, so ideally what we've always done is, we've always wanted to be like, uh, like double our money. That's always how we've, uh, we, we, we've, we, we've took into consideration our pricing is that we are always want to be in a position where we're doubling our money. So even if we had to, uh, to work with uh, uh, like the likes of Holland and Barrett, we were then producing the product for two pounds, for example. So we could sell it for uh, for four pounds, Holland and Barrett, and then we'd make two pounds profit on that. So that's how we kind of uh, uh, strategize uh, our pricing. So I'd, I'd probably say that's one of the, the biggest things is when you go into retail is expecting those margins because a lot of the times, as a, as an online buyer, you want to you want to provide the best possible price in the in the market. You can do that, and you can provide it very very cheap. But then sometimes you can also uh, um, cut your opportunity to work with a retailer. So if you're if you're working on very low margins and, and a very low price, you're probably going to be cutting out the opportunity to working out with a retailer. And you probably have to figure out your pricing at uh, from the very beginning. You don't want to go starting your product. I don't know, selling at eight. I don't know, to, from ten pounds and then jump it up to twenty quid. Obviously, you're going you're going to lose buyers. So from the very beginning, you want to have your pricing to be right. Um, but then in terms of like getting in front of retail, retailers, I'd probably recommend that kind of the, the tactic that we did and also don't hesitate to uh, send your samples to the buyers, uh, find them on LinkedIn, find, find their address, uh, get in touch with them on LinkedIn. Um, you, you must realize also they get contacted by hundreds and thousands of people each month because there are loads of people want to go in, in, into retail. So you have to do something that's going to, uh, um, yeah, a bit outside of the box, a bit unique. Uh, that could be your branding, the messaging that you're doing, the, pro- the your product, the way how you package, the way how you send how you send your products to them, etc. So yeah, you have to you have to think a bit outside the box uh, to be able to get their attention. And re- really, you're going to make also your your life easier if you are selling a product that is in demand. Uh, that people are searching for, but it's quite niche and there's not that much uh, um, solutions or service or product out there. Some great advice there for those um, looking to um, get in. And so, um, so we, we've we've talked about um, the the year on year growth that you've had and how um, and you know and and the the returning customers and so on. But right now in in 2020, again, we've seen some great growth from from last year. Where are you? Um, in terms of cold traffic, so in terms of not the, not the repeat buyers and so on, where are you uh, seeing most success in terms of um, your your traffic sourcing, your advertising um, channels, if you like, right now? Yeah, I I would say that we've seen a shift where a lot of our customers used to be through Google and Google Shopping, and where we're seeing a shift where customers are going now from Google to Amazon and onto marketplaces. Um, I believe it's just because of the trust and the service uh, that Amazon provides to customers and to, uh, and to buyers. So we, we, we're now seeing predominantly a very big shift where every month we're seeing our Amazon sales kind of jump in and, and, and going up compared to our online sales on, on through uh, uh, 
uh, uh, traffic, well, traffic, well, like traffic's like uh, uh, Google Shopping, and you're talking about buyers who are, if they're searching on Amazon, they already have the trust of, uh, of, of the brand of, of the brand of, of Amazon, and they're just looking for, and they're straight away looking for uh, a solution then there. So it's not like they're doing loads of research. The research that they would have done probably would have been higher on Google, and then they would have gone to Amazon to find find a product. So we're, we're, we're finding that a lot of uh, our customers and new customers are coming through Amazon uh, compared to uh, your more traditional routes such as uh, Facebook ads and, uh, and, uh, and uh, um, Google. So if I, was, if I was to start out and uh, launch a business, if I were just starting from, from scratch now, I'd probably be focusing on, on Amazon. And I think sometimes a lot of uh, the times you hear people saying that Amazon's uh, dead or it's hard to start out and that's to me it's bullshit amazon is is a force to be reckoned with and you should absolutely have an amazon strategy and start focusing uh, uh on amazon for sure for sure 100 percent. and so um where can people find out more about your brand um you uh, and uh, get in touch if they wanted to get in touch i, I would i would say on our website and uh, on LinkedIn, that's probably where I'm, I'm probably the most active in terms of uh, my social media. Um, so yeah, if they wanted to, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, I'd probably say come on LinkedIn, uh, hit me up with a message, and I'm always willing to help. I, I love helping people. I think uh, once you start doing well and you start being in a position um, that of, of someone who's, who's doing okay and start to become successful, I think you, you have so much knowledge and you have to share it. So it, it, it's 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 a, to me, it's a duty. It's a duty to uh, more than uh, than giving money away. It's, it's, sh- it's sharing your knowledge and, uh, and and making people learn from your own experiences. Um, but yeah, I would probably say yeah, come and get in touch with me on LinkedIn, and, and more than happy to uh, to help when, when I can. Fantastic. And the website is yummynutrition.com, and yummy is spelled y-u-m-i nutrition.com. To uh, to find out more and to generally get into um, the, the the incredible brand that um, Sebastian has made here. All right, so Seb, at this point in the show, we mix it up a little bit, we whew, shake it off, and we go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly, and you can answer them quickly, or you can take a little bit longer. That's kind of up to you. Yeah. Are you up for that? Yeah, totally up for are it. You, are you two thumbs up up for that? I'm two thumbs up up for it. There we <laughs> I'm, go. I'm ready. Hit me. All right, question number one. What superhero would you be and why? It'd be Captain America. Um, big Marvel fan. The Captain America movies are some of my favorite movies. Uh, to me, he's a good old rounder, uh, but most and foremost, he's a leader. And I don't know if you've seen uh, Avengers, well, you, you've seen The Last Avengers. I, and I, Did you see it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that scene when he got Thor's hammer, oh my god, I, I jumped off my seat there. So yeah, it's one of the my favourite scenes ever I've experienced in a cinema. And yeah, it happened to be Captain America. But yeah, for sure Captain America would be the superhero that I'd like to be. <laughs> nice. What's one thing that people often incorrectly assume about you? Um, I say that I take myself probably too seriously. Well, not at all. I'm probably like one of the silliest persons you'll you'll ever meet. But yeah, I, I think that I think probably people would probably think I think that I take myself too seriously. 
and maybe a bit egotistical. But if you get to know me on a personal level, you probably know that I'm one of the, the silliest uh, 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 people around. Nice. What is the most pointless subject taught at schools and what would you replace it with? Um, I, I didn't particularly think in school there was subjects that were pointless. I, there were probably some were pointless to me. Like, for example, like chemistry. I know I was not going to have an ex, uh, uh, a career in, in, in science. So, for example, chemistry would have been pointless uh, for me. But I do think when I was in school that we could have done with a lot more knowledge around coding and like, um, like just, just general knowledge around like coding. And, and when you look at the shared amount of jobs that there's around uh, development and there's, and there's uh, no developers out there, I just think that the world could do. What's one random act of kindness you've either witnessed or done yourself? Um, so... I used to work for uh, a restaurant back when I first moved to Manchester uh, near Piccadilly Station. And uh, we used to, uh, well, we used to make a lot of bread and we used to throw it away. And I thought that was a, a, a big shame that we used to just throw loads of bread away. So yeah, I used to take the bread, wrap it up. And then on my way back to the station, I'd uh, give it to the homeless who were on my way back. So yeah, that's a random act of kindness I used to do when I worked there. Beautiful. What unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out? Uh, I think since I've moved to uh, to the UK, something that I find that's like one of the most underrated cuisines is uh, Moroccan Moroccan cuisine, uh, like tagines that slowly cut meat, couscous, the pastries that they do. Um, back in Belgium, there's a lot of uh, Moroccan presence and in France there's a lot of Moroccan presence so you, you kind of grow up like eating quite a bit of Moroccan food and I do feel that it's like Moroccan food is not talked about enough it's one of the most underrated cuisines in the world I find um, so yeah I'd probably say like the Moroccan cuisine and tagines in particular are very underrated I, I feel. Nice. What's one mistake you made in your life and what did you learn from it? Yeah I, I think when I was going through a tough time, um, there was a lot of friends that were there for me, and I, I probably and because I was then so focused on kind of my entrepreneurial journey, I kind of neglected them and put them a bit too much to the side. Um, so I, I feel like at the time I was so concentrated on um, my own path and my own kind of entrepreneurial and, and like kind of sorting myself out. I wish I would still have kind of to some degree stayed a bit in touch with my old friends that were there uh, for very, when, when I was uh, in a very tough time. So I'd, I'd probably say that's like, I guess, one of the mistakes, I guess, that I, I wish I could kind of amend, really. What does the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like? And at what time does it typically start? Um, and it's nothing really particularly uh, exciting, I would say, but it's, uh, I, I wake up at around 11 a.m., uh, shower, uh, go into the office, have breakfast, and then um, like the first 60 minutes, I'd be going through all my emails, all my emails. That's, that's generally what I, I tend to do on, uh, for the first 60 minutes. Where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? 
I used to go on YouTube a lot and always I used to put like those uh, motivational kind of videos. It went, it, and it did work. It did work. It did get, it did, they did used to get me uh, motivated quite a bit. But I think one of the of like the the things that I look up to most is uh like professional athletes who like achieve greatness in their in their in their uh, respective sports. Like even like someone just as controversial as Lance Armstrong, when I see like uh through everything that he's been through. For going through brand, through uh, through cancer and to have survived that, and then to come back and to win, I don't know how many Tour de France. Like even though if he was, it, it, that demands so much power and will to get to get to there. Um, and even if you look at those old commercials that he used to do for Nike, yeah, I, I, to, to me, I, I still find him in, inspiring. And even though it's he's quite a controversial, controversial figure. Who do you admire above anyone else, and why? I would have to say my dad, just just be, just because of what I've seen, what he went through, and he never gave up. He he always was a he was always ambitious, and he always like kind of went after his dreams. Um, and it kind of inspired me to think, well, if he's going through this this tough of a time, and he's and he's not given up yet, how could I ever give up? On my dreams and aspirations, if I've got if I've got health on my side, and uh, that that that's who I'd admired the most was my dad at the time because of being so present and so involved and being so close to him during that that tough time and how we, and how he managed to deal with it. That was nothing but admiring. What book or books do you read, recommend, or gift the most? Right. I read a lot of business books. Um, one of the books that I probably would recommend would be the Ten Percent Entrepreneur. That's a book that's helped me uh, a lot when I was when I was starting out. Just because I, I feel like a lot of the times, uh, um, business owners who are on a full time job are a bit confused and think they have to kind of quit their their, their full time job to go straight into business and put out all their eggs in one basket while it's not particularly the case, it can just be as successful. Having your full-time job and having that uh, the peace of mind that you're going to be able to pay your bills and also don't launch your business at the same time. Um, so there's, there's so many different ways to success, and I feel that's, that, that's one of them. Uh, but yeah, uh, The 10% Entrepreneur would be the book I would recommend. And, I, and, and yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like um, if, if you're starting out as a, as a, as a business, you 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 should get all the knowledge that that you, that you can. So there's there's books such as like my personal MBA were great. The Lean Startup was really good. Uh, Mastery, uh, uh, um, Leaders Eat Last. But yeah, the Ten Percent Entrepreneur for people who are looking to start out and have a full time job. I would definitely recommend that book. What silly thing should people do more of? I, I think dance. I think more people should uh, not be scared to dance when they go out. It's it's so fun to dance. <laughs> I feel, but so a lot of people feel uh, uh, awkward to dance because they're not a good dancer. But uh, why? Why does it even matter? Why does it matter if you're not a good dancer or not if you're having a fun time? Uh, just because you think you're going to be judged. Yeah, I think that's one silly thing. I think that people should do more. It's just it's just dance. If you could change one world problem with one wish, what would it be? I think. For 
everyone to kind of start on an equal playing field. Um, when I think of the situation that I was in, uh, yes, it was not the best of situations, but I was still kind of in an environment that was, I had the tools that were there to, to kind of enable me to succeed, so to speak. But if I was born, I don't know, in, I don't know, in, I don't know, in uh, Tanzania in a family that was poor out of nowhere and had nothing, I think that, that you, you, you don't start from the same level playing field. And it probably would have been extremely hard to kind of get out of the situation that I was in if I wasn't, it was probably in a, in a, in a country, in, in another country that was not developed. Um, but yeah, so starting on an equal playing field. Then final question, Seb. What makes you happiest? You know what? Um, I do uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and there's something about overcoming something mentally and physically in a group so when you train hard or when you when you compete that that's that you, that you can't really you can't really you can't describe the feeling it's 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 something that you can't describe and there's something about overcoming stuff like physically and mentally about uh work, working out or 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 or, or, or competing etc that when you've overcome something feeling that you have after is 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 incomparable to any kind of happiness that I've ever experienced. But generally, just knowing like uh, from how far we've came from, my sister and I, just to look back and see how we, we, we've we've not done too badly, considering the the uh, the position that we were in a couple of years ago. So yeah, that that makes me happy. Love that. And uh, so, that, I mean, that brings us to the end of the questions. But at this point, I'd just like to say, or ask rather, do you have any asks or requests of the audience listening today? No, I, I would say if, if you want, if you want to uh, ever get get in touch with me, any advice uh, that you'd like, um, I I'd be more than willing to help. Jump on a call, etc. Hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm also I'm also always looking to learn. So if I can also learn from you. I, I'd, I'd love to learn. I, I, I love uh, reading and, and, and learning different, uh, different people's journeys and, and experiences. Um, so yeah, I would definitely love to kind of create a, a more exchanges with people, for sure. Fantastic. Well, Seb, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story uh, with us today. I found it really, really fascinating. Uh, the journey, the, the, stu- the, the, the steady and deliberate growth the, um, the the adventures into offline retail and um, and just what you're putting out there in the world with your brand it's it's fantastic it's, a, it's an amazing brand and um, it's been tremendously interesting hearing all about it and about your story today on this show. Great. Well, thank you very much, uh, Martin, for having me, and I, I hopefully we'll be in touch very soon. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.